0: Lonine Ray Rogers, Lonnie to those who loved her most, was a 29-year-old from Sagertown, Pennsylvania. She was deaf and the mother of two. On the night of January 7th, 1981, Lonnie was at home with her children and husband. After putting the kids to bed, Lonnie's husband claimed she left with another man. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound. As the saying goes, unfortunately, none of us will get out of here alive. With life comes death. They are forever intertwined. We will be here, then we will not be here. We will be somewhere else, or we will be nowhere, depending on your belief system. And just like the people who have come before us and left this earth leaving us with their histories to read, whether they did something world-changing or something more modest. All of us are currently authors, crafting tales that will eventually become our lives, from our births to our deaths. And future humans will look at what we've done and what we achieved and be impressed, amused, or let down. Hey... Sometimes things don't go the way we want. Well, in the disappearance of Lonnie Rogers, 40 years on, it's still unsolved. But people are trying to change that by rewriting the story. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Linez's website, charlieproject.org. Lonine Rogers got her unique name from her grandfather, whose name was Lonin. But everyone called her Lonnie. She was born essentially deaf due to problems in the womb. However, Lonnie could hear at least a little bit with hearing aids and could talk well enough for others to understand. Lonnie got married and had two children. She worked at a hotel as a maid. Her husband, Clinton, was also deaf. He worked at a tool and die factory. Their marriage was rough, with Clinton going to jail due to theft and burglary charges. He could also be abusive to Lonnie and the children. In fact, just days before Lonnie went missing, she told her family she was leaving her husband. So, on January 7th, 1981, Lonnie, Clinton, and the children were at home. This was a unique situation due to Lonnie kicking Clinton out of the house in November of the previous year. Lonnie had allowed him to come back for the holiday season so their children could see him. The expectation, though, was Clinton would leave once the new year started. Yet he didn't. That night, January 7th, the children were put to bed. At some point after that, Clinton claims to this day that Lonnie left their apartment and never came back. Because of this, at 3 a.m. on January 8th, he took their two children to the babysitters. Clinton told her he was going to look for Lonnie. Lonnie was never seen again. Despite Lonnie's family immediately getting the Pennsylvania State Police involved, no leads could be discovered. ...including no evidence that violence occurred in the Rogers apartment. I realize there may not be a lot of guessing as to what happened to Lonnie Rogers. However, Unfound covers disappearances because they are unsolved... ...not because they are mysterious. Yet, with any case, the biggest question is always... ...where is the missing person? I ask you, the audience, to try to answer that question and the following three, as the interview plays. Number one, what kind of variable, if any, is inherent in a disappearance when both a victim and a possible suspect are both deaf? Number two, if something happened in the apartment that night, why did the downstairs neighbors not see or hear anything? And number three, Could more than one person have been involved in Lonnie's disappearance, and have these people maintained a vow of silence for the last 40 years? Lonnie's family absolutely believes foul play occurred in her disappearance. The guest for this episode is Lonnie's daughter, Allison Diker. Unfound News I have kind of a surprise episode coming up. It will probably air this Monday, November 22nd. I'll be having an in-depth discussion about Steve Pankey and crime in general with a host you all know very well. Right now, I don't want to jinx it. Next, this coming Sunday, November 21st, on the Headline News channel... Please look for former guest Kelly Bruce on the show Real Life Nightmare as it covers the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. As you already know, Kelly is by far the foremost public expert on Brian's case. Finally, I want to wish all of you the happiest of Thanksgivings. Uh, I guess that's only for us Americans. What will I be doing on that day? Probably cooking wings. Chicken wings. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on iTunes, Pandora, Audible, Podomatic, Spotify, iHeart, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. Watch ask questions, and give the show a thumbs up. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Marcus. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Podcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching, and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com, or you can track down my assistant, Heather, in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash podcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the daughter of Lonnie Rogers, Allison Dyker. Allison, welcome to Unfound.
1: Thank you so
0: much. I appreciate your time. Uh, Before we get into this, I want to remind all the listeners that you were very young at the time in 1981. So a lot of things we're going to cover in this interview are either things you were told later, uh, once you maybe became old enough to understand uh, some of the, 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 the situation that went on in 1981, or work that you did as an adult, which of course would have been many years after 1981. So I just want the listeners to understand this uh, before we get deep into this interview, Allison. But uh, first, uh, being that you were young though, I, I still have to ask you, what do you re- you know remember about your family? And of course, both of your parents were deaf. Do you remember you know the first time did that did that register as something uh, as a little girl or is that something you didn't realize that was maybe unique until later? How do you remember that?
1: So as a young child, I think I just thought it was, you know, a, a, a normal way of communication. Um, I did have hearing members of my family as well that I communicated with. So I'm sure that I knew there was a difference with my parents as opposed to hearing people. But I did learn to speak English as well as speak through sign language. Mm-hmm. So at a very early age, I was actually signing for my father. Wow. Um, there's personal home videos like those, you know, um, eight millimeters, uh, reels yeah, where, yes. um, I was signing to him and wow. I was only like three, um, and my mother. So that was kind of neat to see. Um, And I I was there years from day one, probably. So Mm -hmm. I was signing and and doing those things like it was just common. I don't think I really realized that it was anything unique until um, probably being more submersed in the hearing world and culture at probably around uh, seven seven or eight. I realized like people were doing a lot more staring at me where I just thought it was this is just what we do. I didn't realize it was a big deal, but you know, things like going to McDonald's and everybody like kind of staring at you. And all I'm doing is ordering a happy meal for <laughs> my brother and myself and what my father wants. Yeah. And I remember thinking, why do he care what, what we're eating? Like it, it mm. didn't really register. And I probably seven or eight, remember okay. that or not remember, but mm. I felt like, wow, uh, mm-hmm. this is different it is for different. other people and I didn't like that attention I didn't I didn't like people like staring at us and it made me feel like we were different not in a positive way yeah and I remember too like um whenever my father would like talk to our teachers and like parent conferences and things like that I remember I would have to sign and I would sign like every little word and American sign language is very different than mm-hmm. English in that all of the connector words like the, and is, and those kinds of things aren't used. You just, I mean, ASL mm-hmm. is great because you just get to the point. Like, yeah. For example, if, if I'm saying to my father, I, I have to go to the bathroom, I would sign go bathroom and he would say, mm. okay, go. But when I was in a setting where I was with like hearing people like, a teacher, I would literally sign every single word. So for example, instead of saying go bathroom, I would say I need to go to the bathroom. So all of those words um, were just extra. And mm. I remember him getting so annoyed and saying, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. What are you doing? Stop it. And in my mind, I was kind of embarrassed thinking like, that he didn't talk right and i didn't know why and i thought like i was helping him and he got so annoyed and he's like i'm deaf stop it uh, okay <laughs> and i remember thinking oh okay uh-huh. um, but that those experiences made me realize that they're two very different worlds
0: yeah uh as an example maybe for most people maybe we think about when we see sign, sign language is when like uh I don't know, a famous person or politician is giving a speech, and you see maybe a person's sign language. Uh, is that what you're talking about, that kind of sign language? Is that what you call That's ASL, it. American Sign Language? Yes. That's yep. what that is. Okay. Right. Now, maybe the listeners are, can already uh, understand that you are not deaf, but your parents were. Uh, what was, um Why were they deaf? What, what, what was the uh, situation for both?
1: So for my mother, she was um, deaf as a result of something that happened in utero. So she never knew a world that Mm -hmm. was hearing. Um, My father, on the other hand, was um, the story I was told was that at the age of three, he was in a very serious car accident and had like brain injury that Mm -hmm. resulted in hearing loss. Um, So he Mm -hmm. did hear for the first couple years of his life and then became um what they call hard of hearing for the remainder of his okay. life up
0: until now okay so two different situations very very okay and w- when you we say deaf uh i mean could they not hear either, neither of them could hear at all now we're going to talk about your mother's hearing aids um were they i mean deaf at all like complete silence or was there maybe something what what do you know
1: So I'm not sure of the depth of my mother's ability to hear, but I believe for my father being hard of hearing Mm -hmm. um, and my mother, I I don't know the extent, but I know that she wore hearing aids. So the hearing Mm -hmm. aids helped. um, It's kind of like an example would be when you're in a pool Mm -hmm. and you can hear um, people talking outside of the pool and it's like kind of garbled and mumbled, but you can hear it. Yeah. So a hearing aid only makes that louder. So it makes that garbled noise outside of the pool louder. Okay. So you might be able to understand it a little bit better, but it's still kind of garbled,
0: Okay. If that makes sense. All right, great. Thank you for explaining that. All right, so sure. you have two uh, parents, but you also have a brother. He is not deaf either. Correct. Okay. So, um, and uh, we have to remember you are very young at the time, but what do you remember about... Uh, your mother, of course, her being deaf, but her personality, uh, her work at the time, what can you tell the listeners about some of those things?
1: So from what I what I know, it is very little, but from what I've been told, um, and just, you know, family members and friends of hers and different people who have, who have told stories, um, she was always the life of the party, you know, she was beautiful, she... Hmm. You know, always had a big smile and was very charismatic. She loved to dance. She was always very friendly, um, made friends easily, and kind of one of those people that everybody wants to be friends with because she makes you feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as work was concerned, I'm pretty sure that in the beginning, the intention was that she would be, especially during those times, the typical stay-at-home mom and care for the kids. And I would imagine that's probably what she wanted to do, but um, they struggled with money. So she did decide to get a job, and the job was cleaning hotel rooms. Now, Mm -hmm. as far as what she would have wanted to do, you know, the proverbial, what do you want to be when you grow up? I never had the chance of knowing. I never -hmm. never knew that. It's Mm -hmm. definitely something I wonder. You know, had she been given the chance to pick anything she wanted, what would it have been?
0: I don't know. Right. Um. But yeah. Okay. And but your father, uh, at the time in 1981, what did he do?
1: So he did a couple different jobs, but then he landed on, I would say, kind of like a career uh, Mm -hmm. for thirty some years, I believe. He worked at the Tool and Die Company, or I mean, Tool and Die Industry. Okay. And um, he when he got that job, I I can say that. You know, from what I've I've heard and what I've learned, he was always a faithful employee. Always came to work. Always, you know, mm-hmm. took any overtime shifts. Was a hard worker. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I wouldn't say friendly, but in that type huh. of position, yeah. you don't you don't need to make friends.
0: So. All right. Okay. So <laughs> hey, he. he uh, is, yeah. This was a, a a job where he could uh, you know is. His uh, deafness did not um, affect he could do his job and not hear as right. well as everybody else.
1: Right. It was okay. probably a benefit. You know, if he's in right. a big foundry, right. it was it's probably loud. a benefit sure. that he didn't sure. hear all
0: that. Sure. Okay. So your mother's uh, cleaning uh, hotel rooms. Your father's doing uh, that job. Um, how did the two meet? Uh, maybe I should ask you this. Was it a coincidence that they were both uh, deaf and, and met or uh, how, how did they meet? Do you know?
1: I do know. And it was because they were deaf that they met. Um, okay. They met at the Erie Silent Club, which is a um, a location where people who are deaf or hard of hearing like to kind of congregate and gather and, you know, just be with each other. And, I don't know how often they, you know, had events and whatnot, but I know that they met at an event at the Erie Silent Club and kind of just instantly hit it off and started dating pretty much right after they met.
0: Okay. All right. So it, was, uh, it wasn't a coincidence then. They met at a place where deaf people go. Right. Okay. All right. And how long were they married at the time of her disappearance in 1981? Uh, they married in 72, so it would All have right, been years. eight years. Eight nine, nine, years yes. nine years, okay. All right, so this is what was going on. And being that both your parents worked, um, did you have a babysitter for you and, and your brother? What was the situation where, uh, I'm guessing there were times when both of your parents were out of the house?
1: Yes, uh, there was a, a friend of my mother's, so the babysitter was also deaf. Um, a friend of my mother's, babysat us while, uh, you know, she was at work mm-hmm. and, um, I, I want to say, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm just assuming that we were the typical, you know, Monday through Friday during the working hours, kind of babysitter, mm-hmm. uh, but she would, they were friends.
0: Okay. All right. We should say you have a brother. He's younger than you are. Yes. All right. Yes. So his memories of this time of 1981, et cetera, would be even, uh, less than yours. Correct. Right, I was almost, I was days
1: from being six years old and yeah. he was
0: three. Okay. All right. All right. Let's move on. And the babysitter, uh, the topic is going to come up here in a little bit. Um, okay. What do you remember? Uh, once again, you're barely six years old, not even six years old. And, and that would have been right at the time of your mother's disappearance. But so then we'd have to start talking about like 1980, 1979. Of course, uh, you go back to four or five years old. Do you remember your parents' marriage? Do you remember interaction with them? Did they fight a lot? Uh, and maybe for the audience, maybe you need to explain how deaf people argue, uh, and you know, and how do they uh, communicate? How do couples communicate uh, like that in the in being married?
1: Okay, so I don't have a whole lot of my own memories. Um, I. I have been told and I've you know watched videos and all that kind of stuff, but um, I, I, I do know that they argued a lot. Um, mm. I know that because we lived in a duplex and the neighbors that lived underneath us said you know that there was a lot of banging and they argued a lot even on the night that she disappeared they uh reported that they heard banging and arguing um and that leads into your question of how do they argue so a person who is deaf i mean they don't use words but that doesn't mean they don't use sound i mean they probably are loud just like you and i would be when we're arguing but it's not necessarily words they're signing and kind of like yelling at each other, but not a word, more like a guttural sound. Mm. Um, They might bang more because that's how deaf people get each other's attention. So, you know, I would imagine, you know, when you're fighting, someone like turns and walks away. And then, you know, the other person, instead of saying, get back here, You know, that's not possible if you're deaf. So they would bang on something, bang their foot, bang their their hand on a counter or a door or something, and the vibration of that banging uh, is felt by the other person, and then you get their attention to turn around. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a noisy experience, I would think, you know, um, Mm -hmm. between the banging and the pounding with your hands, your feet, uh, or just yelling at each other, which... Would probably not be a pleasant thing for the person who lives underneath
0: them. Right, of course. <laughs> I, I guess what we're saying here is, you know, we, maybe we've all lived in an apartment complex or something where uh-huh. we thought the neighbors were a little too loud. But in this particular situation, uh, they were loud because that was part of the way they communicated. Yes. They didn't correct. They, okay, all right, gotcha. All right, so but maybe it's important. You said something there. They actually lived on the second floor of they this. They were upstairs. Okay. And so uh, there was a stairway. Is the stairway uh, on the outside or inside of the building? Uh, Do you know? The,
1: it's the inside, but it's a separate, like, hallway. So it would go...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was, like, the stairwell was inside the building.
0: Okay. So the the people downstairs and the people upstairs would enter the same door, but then the people who lived upstairs would go... Up the stairs, and the other people would just stay on the first floor.
1: I think there's separate entrances.
0: Oh, separate entrances. So,
1: okay. Yeah. So there's two doors. I mean, the mm. apartment still stands today. Okay. Um, as and it looks just the same, just different mm. colored paint. But there are two doors. So there's a door that goes directly into the the first floor apartment, and then there's a door right next to it that. Leads to a stairwell. You open the door and there's stairs that go directly okay. upstairs. All right. So, so they're separate entrances. And we're
0: going to get into the weather later. What that means is these stairs would never be wet or have snow in them, anything like that. They were out, out of the elements.
1: Exactly. Okay.
0: Yes. And were there just two uh, apartments in this building or were there more?
1: So at the time, I think there were only two. Today, I think there's five. But I, Wow. I'm not 100% sure, but they Mm -hmm. added on to the back, and I don't know when that was. I just know that, you know, when you look on Google, it says there are five, I think.
0: Okay. But at the time, you're understanding the way you remember it in 1981. It was just the people who lived on the first floor, and then all of you who lived on the second floor. Yes. Yes. Okay. And this apartment that you lived in, uh, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, how big was it? I think.
1: It was
0: two-bedroom,
1: mm-hmm. but I'm not 100% sure about that.
0: Okay. I, um,
1: I think that my brother and I were in the same room, but okay.
0: I'm not 100% sure. Okay, that's fine. All right, so they live on the second floor, and we'll, that will probably come up a little bit later. So you're there. Um, they're working. You're living there. They've been married for nine years. You have some vague memories of them communicating, maybe mm-hmm. fighting sometimes, which I think all couples do. Nothing unusual about that. All right. So let's move up to then uh, that day. Um, and, it, and we're going to accept, uh, accept it that January 7th, 1981 is the disappearance date. Um, but what do you remember of, about that day? Do you have any memory of it at all? Um, were you going back to school? May, might you have been in first grade or something or kindergarten at the time? Or what, what was the situation?
1: So I believe I was in kindergarten. Um, however, I do know that I went to a babysitter. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure whether like I went to the babysitter typically and then the babysitter sent me to school just for routine mm-hmm. purposes. I'm not sure how that worked, but okay. um, I would have been in at least kindergarten okay. because I was five and then about to turn six.
0: Yeah okay, that uh, that would make sense uh to yes. me as well. Now, I just want to go through this from your point of view. We'll of course get into the specifics and what your father said and everything in a bit. but okay. um you're there uh, of course your you and your brother, I guess are put to bed that night. Do you remember seeing yes. your mother that night? I don't. You don't. okay. I don't. All right. do you remember being put to bed the night that your mother went missing? I do not. okay. What is your first memory after your mother went missing? That you know is a a, a memory that occurs after she went missing?
1: I recall, I have a memory of the day that we were brought home, the day after the disappearance. Okay. And going into the apartment and there were people already in our apartment my father was angry my grandfather was there my aunt was there the police were there and there were there was a lot of yelling Mm -hmm. we we meaning my younger brother and I went into the living room and I remember playing with my BG's record player trying to distract myself and him while the adults were in the other room yelling okay and that's kind of just like a blip memory and then what happened after that I don't I don't have memory
0: of. Okay, great. And that's all we're concerned about right now, your personal memories. Because we're going to talk about what other people told you and what you, you know, later and what the babysitter said and everything. So once again, to put this in a timeline, you go to bed and then your next memory is of being back in your apartment and all these adults are there and they're all wondering where your mother is. Correct. All right. And there is a space in there that now I want to cover all right. So that next day, though, uh, your father, though, something that you do not specifically have a memory of, but we know that happened, is you were taken to your babysitters. What do you know about that? What have you learned about that?
1: So, not from my memory, but what I've learned over the years mm-hmm. is that we were brought to the babysitters at at three in the morning, and the babysitter um, was awoken um, without being notified because she was hearing impaired. He um, took us there at three in the morning. She answers the door and she reports that he is anxious and sweaty and it Mm. was winter and very cold and snowy. And so it was a little odd, but um, she understands that there's a a problem and things are stressful. She takes the children, myself and my brother and my father tells her that he needs to drop us off because he's going to look for her for my mother that she left with another man. She finds, she finds this very odd because she and my mother were very good friends. And I would imagine they would have had a discussion about, you know, said person she was running away with. And she had no knowledge of this. Um, In the morning, she waited until like six or seven o'clock in the morning and had her hearing daughter Mm -hmm. call my grandfather. So then my grandfather, my mother's father, um, you know, rushes over at some point, I would imagine mid-morning, to the apartment and there's nothing there. Um, Everything is spotless, beds are made, no dishes anywhere. He says everything was pristine.
0: Um, How did he get in?
1: He kicked off in the
0: door. (laughs) He did. Okay. So he didn't have a key. Nobody, the babysitter didn't have a key. None of your mother's family had the key. They got over there, went up to the second floor and kicked it in. Yes. Correct. And to your, once again, I realize you were very young at the time, but what you've learned is that uh, any signs of a struggle, anything broken, anything like that at all? Nothing. No. No.
1: He said nothing was out of place. Nothing was... Nothing was out of the ordinary or looked different. The only thing that was out of the ordinary, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, or that he would say is that everything was like in its place. Huh. You know, I, you wouldn't think at three in the morning that's that would be your priority to make mm-hmm. beds and, you know, make sure everything's nice and tidy. But it was.
0: Okay. So the, the odd thing about it was everything was in place. Correct. All right. It was actually what you might say too neat. Yes. Too pristine, too clean, too something, too Too nice, (laughs) too orderly. Okay. In contrast to the opposite, maybe when you you know a family with two kids and toys laying around and everything else. Right. right. Okay. Very good. Thank you. All right. So they're there. You remember being there, and then, um, they're all looking around. Did anybody, once again, to your knowledge, once again, this is not something you would remember at the time, but your knowledge. Didn't any of them like try to call your father Clinton at work to see, hey, you know, what's going on here? Any knowledge of that at all?
1: Not to my knowledge.
0: Okay. All right. So then later and To my
1: knowledge, he also didn't say anything at work. I to my knowledge, he just went to work, did his thing, and came home like it was any other day. Okay. Did not notify people at work that there was a
0: problem at home. Okay. So, though, eventually, of course, Clinton does come home from work. At that point, had the police already been called? Yes. They had. All right. So uh, I have to say, you know, putting this a little bit together is that the, he tells, uh, your father tells the babysitter, Lonnie ran off. But then she calls your family and it doesn't seem like your fa- uh, your family bought into that story. Right. Okay. So that's why they call the police. Obviously, if they really believe she ran off with another man, there would be no reason to call the police. But they did call the police. So Clinton gets home. And what do you understand happened uh, when he did get home?
1: From what I've been told, mm-hmm. when he came home, he was furious that you know all these people are in his apartment. I'm sure he saw some damage to the door because my grandfather and my great-grandfather my great-grandfather had lived catty corner to this house so both of my great-grandparents lived not more than 100 yards from where wow. we were living
0: okay so
1: that night my grandfather or that morning i'm sorry my grandfather and my great-grandfather were the ones that kicked open the door um, so when my Fast forward, when we were coming home, I believe my father went and picked us up from the babysitter and brought us home like he normally would any other time, and was surprised by a bunch of people in the apartment.
0: All the people um, waiting for him.
1: Right. And, you know, angry and questioning him and and whatnot. I'm quite sure that, you know, my grandfather was screaming, where's my daughter, and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I can just see the scene in my mind, but, um... At the time, you know, the police did do like a search uh, and, you know, of his person mm-hmm. at the time and checked his wallet.
0: Uh, all right. We'll get, we'll get into So they get into, they, he comes home, they're all there. Uh, to your knowledge, does he stick to the same story? Yes. He to says my knowledge, he, he
1: said the same exact thing and, and has for 40 years said she ran away with another man.
0: Okay. All right, so um, he's sticking to the same story. He comes home, does not expect them to be there. Um, of course, he picked you two up on the way home. Right. All right. Did do you think that he did not? Have, did the babysitter, or whoever, not give him any warning? That did or did his people not know that they were there? I don't
1: think she would have known. Okay. And certainly would not have said hey I called your father-in-law because I think you did
0: something probably not okay probably right. not all right good point yeah. all right so he picks you up you get home and this is where you've already talked about this is your next memory of them all being there loud voices right. you're in the other room with your brother trying to um, entertain him while they're right. all out there and uh, arguing and uh, you know and I'm guessing uh, did you or the rest of your family? I guess they knew how to sign, being that they had a daughter who couldn't hear right. So what? were they all ar- um, were they arguing and signing? I, I'm sure there was words being thrown around too. I'm guessing.
1: Well, the only non hearing person would have been my father out of right. that group of people. So they were probably all yelling the hearing people to each other mm-hmm. and at him he was really good at reading lips so mm-hmm. he just the, com- the other end of the communication would have been harder but my aunt glennie was really good my mother's mm-hmm. sister was really good at signing because she signed with her sister yeah i i believe my grandfather knew sign but probably not as well as glennie mm-hmm. did and she was there too
0: all right so and then the police were there too Correct, and I'm guessing they don't know how to uh for use sign language, right? Uh, and Absolutely. so maybe there was some translating going on there. I would imagine. Okay, very good. Uh, who are? What is the police department uh, that answered the call on that day?
1: I believe it would have been the um, Pennsylvania State Police because that mm-hmm. is an area that does not have its own police station. Unless it was the Meadville State Police. I think it was the State Police, though. I think the entire duration of the case has been in the hands of the Pennsylvania State
0: Police. Okay. And we should know that even though, you know, in many descriptions of this disappearance, it says Hayfield Township, Pennsylvania, but what is the mailing address? Meadville, Pennsylvania?
1: I believe the mailing address would be Sagertown,
0: Pennsylvania, which is right next to me. Sagertown, Pennsylvania. Thank you. All right, so the police are already there. They're um, there fairly quickly, which is good. Your uh, father has a story that, yeah, she took off, and um, obviously some people are not believing it. Uh, The police, do you have any idea, did they uh, just question him there? Did they um, interrogate him somewhere? Did uh, was your father ever? Uh, did he ever give the state police or whoever was there a, a name? John Smith, Harry Brown, anybody who this guy might have been? Do you know anything about any of that from that day?
1: So, yes, um, he, they did interview him or and talk. Well as best as they could try to talk to him and ask questions that mm-hmm. day, yeah. probably through, you know, the other people connected to my mother that were there that knew how to sign. Uh, they let him go that, I mean, they didn't take him into custody or mm-hmm. anything like that. He stayed in the apartment with us that night. Okay. And I believe they, you know, questioned him again at the station, like asked him to come down and answer questions and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um i don't know if there was an interpreter or not and Mm -hmm. the police aren't willing to share most of what's in the file so i
0: don't know okay Um Uh, let me ask you this uh when they were there uh did they ask permission to look at now both did your both your mother and father have their own cars they did all right uh was uh do you know if the police were allowed to search either car at the time do you know if they did that
1: i don't know if they did that but there Mm -hmm. were two vehicles and neither well my mother's vehicle was not moved okay my father's was moved because he took it to work and
0: back okay but you don't know if he gave them permission to search it i do not know okay you don't know Uh, Do you know if your father over the years has ever been asked to take a polygraph test regarding that night into the next morning? He
1: he was asked, and from what I was told, he agreed to do it. Mm -hmm. And then he began talking to his sister about things, probably when he asked if we could stay with her. Mm -hmm. And she said, you need a lawyer, don't do this, don't talk to anybody, and everything kind of just stopped. Mm -hmm. He then kind of reneged and said, I'm not doing this. I I want a lawyer. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. to anybody. He didn't participate in any searches, didn't do—then he was not cooperative at all.
0: Okay. And this is, once again, these are things you were told later. You were not realizing this as a six-year-old. Correct. Okay. All right. And we'll— Maybe I should ask you this. Um, going back to being that he's the one who said that she ran off with another man, did he tell, give the state police any names at all?
1: I don't know if he knew the name, but he knew that there was a man at work that my mother was talking to. So there was there was a, mm-hmm. a person who was named and mm-hmm. investigated and was ruled out um, okay. in the case. I don't know if my father knew him by name, but he knew that my mother was talking to another man. Now, the nature of the relationship, I don't really know. I just know he was much older, like 20 years older than mm-hmm. her. And they had lunch together multiple mm-hmm. times, and someone told my father that that huh. she was seen with this man But this man was married with kids, and and my understanding of the relationship was she adored him, and he adored her. Mm. She was kind of, you know, infatuated with him, and I think he adored her more like wanted to help her out of this relationship that she was in that was so awful and wanted good things for her. But I didn't get the sense that it was an active romance. It was just more like two people who really
0: Mm.
1: adored each other.
0: This was somebody she met uh, in her job?
1: Yes. Okay. He was, I believe, an electrician at the hotel uh. that she was cleaning rooms in.
0: Okay. And
1: somehow they connected and, you know, took lunches together and that kind of thing. And it, Okay. I, I, be, I believe he, she had conversations with him about, you know, a troubled marriage mm-hmm. and she's unhappy. And, you know, they probably just, you know, commiserated up over their their issues or their marriage woes, but um, he was completely ruled out. And I don't know that my father gave the name, but he knew there was another person.
0: Okay, and like you said, maybe somebody saw them together. Uh, this wasn't something I should say that your mother told your father about? No. Which he found out, imagine. your father found out about it through other channels? Yes. Okay.
1: Probably other people in the community or whatnot, but...
0: okay. Could your, uh, I don't know if I've ever asked her this, could your mother uh, talk? Uh, could she um, speak to English people even though she speaking. couldn't hear? Even though she could, couldn't hear, could she speak English? And
1: uh, She could. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: how well? I don't know because I don't have memory of her okay. diction. But I do know that she went to Edinburgh University as a participant in a speech clinic. So there were speech and hearing majors at Edinburgh University and she went for them to work with her to help her with pronunciation. So I know it was something she worked on. Yeah. So I, I think that people who knew her well probably could could figure out what she was saying.
0: All right. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm guessing this electrician was not deaf.
1: He was not.
0: All right. right? So I was then I start wondering Right. So then I start wondering, well, how did were they communicating? And so she could talk. She can read lips. She could read lips. Okay. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. Okay. So what was left behind? Being your mother's uh, went missing, she's still missing 40 years later. What was left behind of hers at her place? Maybe we should say things that would normally be with her.
1: So what was left behind was her hearing aid, which was something she never left home or anywhere without Um, her keys to her car, her purse, her glasses. Um, In fact, the only thing they say that was missing that she may have been wearing or whatnot Mm -hmm. was um, a pair of brown boots and a navy blue pea coat and a pink blanket was missing. And the blanket was missing um, that was reported by the babysitter.
0: Okay, so the babysitter noticed that that was missing. Yes. All right. Um, these hearing aids, and, and I had asked you about this in a previous conversation because I think this is very important, the way you understand it, what, for what reasons would your mother take her uh, hearing aid out?
1: So during that time, you know, technology was what it is now, and they would have to replace batteries probably relatively often um, cause it didn't make them long lasting. So when she would go to bed, when she would take a shower would be the times mm-hmm. that she would turn the hearing aid off and take it, take the hearing aid off out of her ear
0: mm-hmm.
1: to save on the life of the battery. Okay. So she would take it off to sleep. She would take it off to shower any other time. She would want that on.
0: Okay. So very rare that she had the very hearing rare. aid uh, sleeping and in the shower everywhere else, just even at right. home, of course, at home, at work, driving somewhere, she'd be wearing right. it.
1: And she's also a, a mother of young children. Mm-hmm. So for that reason also, she would. that's probably the first thing she would do when she woke up is put that on just to be mindful of her children and any noises or anything that might be happening.
0: Okay. All right. So probably that's the most noteworthy thing because that's something that she would have on her almost all the time. Right. Right. In contrast to a purse, of course, in many disappearances we talk about, a woman goes missing, her purse is left behind, but a purse is not something that a, that a woman technically wears. Uh, yeah. You know, it's something that when they go somewhere, they put it on the table, they, you know, uh, maybe put it in, a, in a, lock it away, maybe at work or something like that. But hearing aids, right. that's something that she would have been wearing.
1: And glasses.
0: And glasses, um, too. They
1: weren't just reading glasses. They were, she mm. wore prescription glasses.
0: Okay. And then we have these brown boots and uh, this coat as well. When you say pea coat, uh, that's like a winter type of coat, right? Okay. Like, um, like a navy coat. Yeah. You know
1: that.
0: Like, uh, like yeah, like uh, sailors or navy sailors. Yes, uh yes, you, yes. you know, would wear something like that. Okay, right. gotcha. Uh, you mentioned this pink blanket. Uh, do you specifically remember this pink blanket from living in that apartment?
1: vague memory of this blanket um, this pink cotton blanket with the, the pink ribbon edging mm-hmm. um, I do recall it my aunt told me, my mother's sister Glennie <laughs> told me that mm-hmm. she knew right away that was missing as well because mm-hmm. it was a blanket that she used all the time when she was over there, anytime oh. she'd be over she would grab that blanket and it, and it was a it was like her favorite blanket and she would joke because my mother won it at some raffle huh. or something and she would joke you know back and forth be- with my mother like it's mine i'm the one that uses it and she's like no it's mine i want it you know kind mm-hmm. of thing so it was also something that was um, on her radar right away noticing that it was missing
0: the way you know this blanket is this uh, one of those blankets that's like in a in a closet that you get out you know, when it gets colder in Pennsylvania, or was this like a blanket that would be used to maybe decorate a couch? What do you think? Was it something that was normally in the living area, or was it kind of stashed away? Do you know?
1: Most likely stashed away.
0: All right, stashed away. Okay.
1: Probably kept in a closet, pulled out when you wanted a blanket.
0: Okay, and like you said, it was the babysitter who actually recognized that it was missing. Yes, right. Right away. It sounds like she right noticed away. very quickly. Yes. Okay, that like that next day when all the adults were over there, Uh sometime around then. Okay, Uh, let's talk about this. Let's talk a little bit about the weather. I think this is something else we um, need to consider. We don't talk about the weather too much in disappearances, although we have one maybe being Chance Engelbert's disappearance that we covered earlier this year where there was like a thunderstorm rolling in as he was walking around Gearing, Nebraska. But let's talk a little bit about the weather, and I know this is going to sound weird to everyone, but both um, Allison Allison and I have had problems actually trying to figure out what exactly the weather was that day. We've heard, uh, you've of course told me that it was a snowstorm, but um, I don't know if there's technically proof of that. What can you say about the weather? Uh, What you've looked into, what you've tried to find out?
1: So... Not only did my parents live in that area, but many family members did. And my, I believe would be a cousin, actually ran a snowplow. Like, he was one of the snowplow drivers. And he said, he literally drove right up the streets in front of the duplex that we lived in um, on his way home after doing snow plowing, and he said, it, you know, the snow was coming down, and cars were pulling off the road, because it, it was coming down so much, I And mean, he used the word blizzard, and I have newspaper articles just from, that talk about the disappearance, that they literally in print call it a blizzard, but when I, you know, 40 years later, have tried to look for a weather report, the nearest um, weather report that I can get Online is in Erie, which is a good half hour from there, or Meadville, yeah. which is a good 15, 20 minutes from there. And it said it was snowing, but not necessarily a blizzard. But this particular area is known to be a you know a snowbelt area, and the newspaper, at, as well as family members that lived there, reported that it was a blizzard.
0: Right. I I discovered the same thing. In fact, the word that I found, I I was looking at Elwood City, which is kind of somewhat south of Meadville and Sagertown, but it's, you know, it's in that general area of western Pennsylvania. They called it flurries, um, which, you know, it's just hard to say. Um, And what you're talking about, Allison, there is the lake effect that Pennsylvania gets from Lake Erie. And having gone to college up in Grove City, which is not far away from this area at all, um, I can remember getting some severe snowstorms when I went to Grove City. But in Leechburg, which is where I grew up, just an hour south of there, they wouldn't hardly get anything. So you're right. It's just uh, a little unpredictable. And so it's just hard to say. But I think what we can say here, though, is it did snow. Snow did come down from the clouds. And do you know that when the police showed up, uh, of course, all those people were already there, did they check for footprints? Did they see footprints of your mothers maybe wearing those boots, anything like that is Has that ever been brought up in the last 40 years?
1: I, I would assume they did. Um, however, what I was told was that you know it was drifting, snowing, blowing snow, so any footprints that that morning by the time they got there or afternoon i should say would have not existed
0: okay gotcha and as we established earlier as well the steps that go from the second floor down to the first floor are inside exactly so they wouldn't have any snow on them anyway so that maybe footprints from people on the first floor might get mixed in that could happen too all right so we have so and I have to bring this up because, as many of the uh, many people in the audience know, uh, I just testified I guess an interview I did testify, and I didn't personally do much talking, but footprints in the Snow uh, played a part in a trial that I took part in in Colorado in October. so and that was a disappearance and ended up being a murder from 1984. So I was wondering if we might be able to apply a little bit of that to your mother's disappearance, but it doesn't seem so. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, um, we've almost uh, touched this topic a couple times, but we're going to talk about it right now. And this has to do with the dollar amount of 60 bucks. Um yes. Please tell this story to the listeners.
1: So, I was told that my mother went to her father uh, the day uh, that she disappeared, like the Earlier in the day. So on January 6th, she disappeared officially on the 7th. Um, on January 6th, she went to her father and asked for money, explained that she wanted to leave him. She didn't have money. She, you know, she had bills to pay, needed to find a way out. And he, at the time said, all I have on me is $60. This is it. And she said, she you know, thanked him and off she went. Now, My grandfather would say, you know, that money was for her um, Mm -hmm. to help her leave him. So fast forward to uh, when the police were in the apartment and my father was coming home from work with us and he finds people in his apartment. He's angry. You know, the police end up doing a search of his person and, you know, find his wallet, search through his wallet and find the $60. So at the time, you know, I say thus is $60, mm-hmm. but it just happened to be $60. That was all that was in his wallet. And my grandfather, you know, I'm sure, reacted and yeah. said, "Where did you get that money? Where did you sure. get that money?" Sure. And he he volunteered to the police that Lonnie gave it to him, which never would have happened because that was not the intent of the money. Mm-hmm. She said you know, that she needed it to leave him. So why would she just say, oh, okay, here you go. Let me just give this money to you I just got for my father to leave you. So um, it was found in his wallet and um, was a very suspicious piece of information.
0: So certainly the dollar amount uh, is concerning, being that it is exactly the same dollar amount. Do you know if this was like... Six tens or three twenties? Do we even do we even know that? But it was either way. It was sixty dollars exactly.
1: Yeah, as far as the denominations, I I don't know. Um, But Mm -hmm. he, my father himself, volunteered that that money came from her. So there wasn't a question about. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though the dollar amount could have been you know money he got from anywhere, he himself volunteered that that money came from her.
0: Right. Now, of course, what else we have to discuss is she wanted to leave your your father? Yes. Why was that?
1: So he had a very long history of um, criminal behavior. He had been arrested numerous times and was actually in jail when my brother was born. Hmm. He had uh, charges that were... Uh, theft, breaking and entering. Um, he staged a robbery at a bar he was working at. And I believe that was the charge that he was in jail for when my brother was born. So, you know, my mother's tr- like this <laughs> goody two shoes, so to speak, you know, and was mm-hmm. never in trouble and everybody loved her. And then, you know, she marries this bad boy who's always in trouble. And I'm sure she thought she'd change him that the behavior didn't change, Yeah, it just, he continued to get caught and, you know, was doing jail time and she was embarrassed by it. And I think had just had enough, you know, it, after, um, trying to help him, you know, change his life and turn his life around, he volunteered at, um, the fire department that was literally across the street from where we were living, trying to turn things around according to You know, to my mother's view, if he does these things that that will help change him. Well, then he stole tools from the fire chief because he had spent time in his garage and knew what was there. And then he broke in and stole tools from the fire chief was caught. And that was kind of it just was enough for my mother. Mm -hmm. And she was just done, um, wanted better for herself, wanted better for her children and was tired of being embarrassed by him. Um, okay. i know they argued a lot based on what the neighbors underneath said so my my hunch would be that it, they argued about this behavior and lifestyle that he lived and she just wanted different
0: can you point to any particular uh was there do you think a final straw given that she disappeared in- Uh, The beginning uh, of the year, in January of 1981, was this like uh, turning over a new leaf and we're going to start 1981 right by uh, leaving uh, him or do you think there was some other sort of final straw that he got in trouble for something else? Uh, Have you ever been able to uh, pinpoint that over the years?
1: Yes. Yes, actually. Um, She had officially separated from him in October. Oh. So she asked him, this was after he got in trouble and, you know, was arrested yet again for theft. Um, he, she asked him to move out and said, go live with your parents. You can see the kids, but you can't stay here. And he obliged and went and stayed with his parents um, who were living in Erie. So it's a good half hour, 40 minutes from where they We're living Um, holidays are approaching and I am sure that he came around often to see the kids, see her and wanted things, wanted to be back with her. Sure. She was feeling bad and felt like, you know, this is their, the kid's father and I don't want to keep their father from, from the kids. So tells him that he can come back for the holidays. Now this is just before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Tells him he can come back for the holidays, but after the holidays, he's got to go. So he came, and after the holidays, she was like, okay, you (laughs) got to go. And he refused. He
0: wasn't leaving.
1: He was not leaving.
0: uh, And we have to keep in mind, you were like five or six years old at the time. Who's told you this?
1: This was told to me by uh, her parents.
0: Your mother's parents. Your grandpa and my aunt's Okay.
1: And my aunt was living near that area for quite a while and was kind mm-hmm. of like my mother's confidant. They were very close.
0: All right. So there we have it. She was separated from him. In fact, he had left uh, the apartment for a while. He came back for the holiday season, uh, middle of December to early January, and then we get to January 6th, January 7th. He's still there. He won't leave, and then she goes missing.
1: And I wouldn't doubt... That that part of their arguing that night was her saying, "You have to leave," you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And he okay, went out. okay, all right. So, and uh, you just mentioned the neighbors. Uh, what did they say about that night? The
1: neighbors reported to the police that they heard yelling, arguing, banging mm-hmm. um, into the wee hours of the morning. Wee mm-hmm. hours meaning like I, I don't know that a, t- a specific time was given.
0: Okay. The way you understand that apartment, um, would people in the first floor be able to hear when people from the second floor were coming and going?
1: I wouldn't, I don't know for sure, but I know that the stairs run along the side of their build, their apartment. Mm-hmm. So their one wall, whatever room it is, I don't know, mm-hmm. the stairs are right next to it i would think you would hear because it's that the stairs are connected to their wall
0: right and being that they could hear things going on upstairs and, and and having lived in apartments for most of my life that's not unusual even when people aren't having arguments when you have people walking on your ceiling right. even as i live in this condo building in clearwater beach which is a fairly nice place when people are renting the place above me you can hear them You know, you can hear them walking around. It's just part of, you just have to accept it. Uh, So they wouldn't even have to be arguing for them to hear, uh, the people downstairs to hear your mother and your father upstairs, or you and your brother upstairs. But um, as far as coming and going, you think then there is a possibility that they could have heard somebody coming and going? Could be. Could. Okay. Okay. All right, so we have to keep that in mind. So they uh, hear this stuff going on up there. Maybe they didn't think it was any different than any other time, but they never reported hearing uh, anybody come downstairs, not like at 2 not in ridden. the morning, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, Any anything to your knowledge?
1: Not to my knowledge. And again, mm-hmm. they won't share the the files with right. me, so it may be in there, and I wouldn't know.
0: Okay. we're going to talk about, we're certainly going to get to that because it's an interesting story. Okay, so uh, once again, to put this in the timeline, um, she wants to separate from your father in October. He moves out, moves in with other family members. Just you, your brother, and your mother are there then all together at that location. Then she allows him to come back for the holiday season with the, uh, I guess, the request that once the holiday season is over, once it becomes 1981, that he's supposed to go back where he came from. Yes. And he wouldn't do that, and then shortly after that, she goes missing. That's the timeline. Yes. Correct. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about you uh, specifically, Allison. You, of course, had talked about, although you don't specifically have a remem- uh, memory of it, you being taken to the babysitters. You do remember um that day the next day later in the day when all the adults are there the police are there and people are arguing and but eventually your father took you and your brother or maybe just you but you can explain that to the listeners to live with his sister and it was like an on again off again type of situation why don't you talk about that now
1: yes um so were still in the apartment after the day after it happened. And I'm not sure, you know, how many days, you know, went by before he took us to his sisters. But I do know that he probably started to feel, um, a lot of pressure from my mother's side, who was accusing him of doing something with my mother and was just not, was tired of it and didn't want us around. Um, So my aunt had taken me to the police to see if, if, you know, they could ask me anything or question or if they could get anything from me and they tried to hypnotize me, but I actually do have a memory of, of pretending Mm -hmm. to sleep because I didn't want to do it. And Mm -hmm. um, I would imagine a professional would would realize that's what I was doing but it didn't work (laughs) yeah
0: I'm not a big believer in that stuff anyway but yes
1: yeah um but my father I think got wind of that and that led to him saying I'm taking them to my sisters so we were then taken to um my aunt who lives probably 30 40 minutes from where we were living and I I don't recall having any kind of relationship with her i probably had only seen her a few a few times in my life so when we went there i was very traumatized mm-hmm. besides the fact of what was going on in our lives i did not want to be left with people i didn't really know and you know it was kicking and screaming and and my father left so we had he left and you know i, I would assume you know he went back to the apartment and did whatever he needed to do, but we were left with his sister for at least a year before he then came back and said, okay, I'm ready to be a dad now. Um, Might have even been more than a year. And then, but each time he would come back and say, okay, I'm ready to be a dad. Children's services would get involved because he was very abusive and neglectful and then we'd get taken away and then they would take us to my aunt because that's where we had been and would say, you know, he's got to do X, Y, and Z before he can have the kids back. And then he would get us back and then it would just repeat again and we would be taken away and go to my aunt. And when I say we, it was my brother and Mm -hmm. I all throughout my childhood. Um, up until fourteen, but um, you know it was just a pattern of back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes um, there were a couple times that it was foster care, and then my aunt, or you know, a neighbor. Mm-hmm.
0: So but I guess you were changing an on again and So you were changing that. schools often then too. Yes. Oh my. Yes. Okay. Yep. Let me ask you about this, though. I think this is uh, very important. What would happen when your mother's side of the family would come around like your mother's uh, sister, who you've already mentioned? What would happen uh, when they would want to see you? What would happen if they would ask you or bring up your mother in front of um, Clinton's side of the family? Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Okay. So... I was not allowed I was forbidden to talk to them so I throughout my childhood there was maybe once or twice that my aunt actually was able to see us because she was so persistent or would just show up Um, she lived four hours from where we were so it was it had to be a pretty planned trip for her to she had moved to Toledo so she was nowhere near us but um, I do have a one or two memories of seeing her, but it was never alone. You know, it was it was very supervised. We weren't allowed to talk about it. And it was I don't remember even having a conversation where we were told we're not going to talk about this. You just knew you didn't. I mean, there was just a, a fear and anxiety of the topic. And I I never point blank asked my father what happened and we just didn't talk about it. I kind of found out what happened. Through listening to adult conversations and putting pieces together and knowing my own experience with my father and drawing my own conclusions, but we were not allowed to talk about it. And my mother's side, I did not know that they sent cards and letters and made phone calls trying to reach out to us, but I never knew that until I was much older and had pursued a relationship with my mother's side and found out from them that they sent cards with money and you know birthday cards and all kinds of things that i never saw wow
0: did your uh father's sister i guess your aunt did she ever in those years once you got a little older maybe to understand such things did she ever express an opinion on what she believed happened to your mother
1: again, I don't recall ever actually having a conversation about it Mm -hmm. and I left her care at 14. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I never had another conversation with her after that. Um, Around that time, once again, you know, I was removed from my father and I was living with her and then went back um, Mm -hmm. again when my father decided he wanted to be a dad again. So this, that move at 14, put me in a school system that I had already uh, hmm. been in before. And there, uh, there was a guidance counselor there who knew if I was back in the school system that meant I was back with my father and that was not a good thing because I had been taken away by the by children's services yeah. the last time. So she um, actually you know called me into her office and you know asked how things were doing and I gave her the pet, I'm fine, things are fine answers, but she knew in her gut that it couldn't have been fine. So she said, listen, I'm going to give you my phone number. And if you ever need anything, this is my home phone number. You call me anytime, day or night, no matter what, no questions asked. And I was like, okay. So I put it in my pocket. Well, that, that exact night was my brother's birthday. And we were driving, we were going to drive into Erie and go out to eat to celebrate his birthday. And my father told me I had to sit in the bed of the pickup truck. And my father, it was at that time, it was just a single cab. I don't think the quad cabs were even invented yet. But my brother, my father, and his girlfriend were in the cab, and he told me. On a crisp October night in Erie, um, I had to sit in the pickup truck, and we drove a half an hour into Erie. Now, it was freezing, um, you know, very cold, Mm -hmm. and and at the wind of the drive, so I was banging, crying, because I was so cold on the back window. He pulled into Erie police station, and I didn't know what was going on. He went in, came back out, said, let's go. And so I went into the police station and the police officer looks at me and is like, can you hear? Are you hearing? And I said, yes. And he said, I I don't understand. I I, I don't understand what's going on. Can you help? Mm -hmm. So my father signs to me, tell him you're bad and I don't want you anymore. So I sign to the police officer. He says I'm bad and he doesn't want me anymore. And the police officer says, "Um, so what does he want us to do? (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I sign and my father says, I don't want her anymore. And the police officer says, okay, well, you can't just drop off kids here. We can get you help, but it's the weekend because this was a Friday night. It's the weekend. We can get you help, but that won't be till Monday. Can you take her home for now and we'll get somebody out to talk to you? I sign this to him and he says, no, I'm not taking her home. The police officer says to me, well, do you know anybody you can stay with until Monday? Now, mind you, mm-hmm. I'm a 14-year-old girl. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, uh, no, you can call my aunt. That's always where they take us. Yeah. So he calls my aunt and my aunt says, no, tell him I'm done. Figure it out. I, we're not. I'm not doing this again. So mm-hmm. the police officer says, you know anybody else? and anxiety. I just, you know, put my hands in my pocket and I felt that phone number. And I was like, well, here's the number of my teacher who said she was my math teacher and my guidance counselor. And I said, she says, if I need anything to call her day or night. And he's like, your teacher? And I said, yep. She told me to call. So he calls her and she says, I'm on my way. Wow. And they got legal custody of me and thanks Mm -hmm. be to God. I, I, lived with them from 14 till 18 and went to college and that's who I call family now. And that's how Mm -hmm. uh, my brother and I were separated because he was still with my father because I was the one, you know, being Mm. dismissed that night because it was my brother's birthday.
0: And your brother continued to live with your your father. And uh, I don't know if we want to get into that stuff because you weren't technically there, but when did he finally leave your father?
1: Well, the the saga continued, you know, Mm -hmm. it it didn't change and Mm -hmm. he was, you know, in and out. But of course my aunt said she wasn't doing it anymore. So
0: Mm -hmm.
1: he was, you know, my father would abuse him and he'd end up going to a friend's house. And I think Mm -hmm. more often than not, it was like, go to this friend's for a little bit and that friend's for a little bit. And eventually Mm -hmm. he just started living with a friend's family um, and got it. He, he actually they got joint restraining orders against each other after my father threw wow. him down a flight of stairs so oh. it, it didn't get better for
0: him mm-hmm. wow okay um what we have to give a shout out to this woman who helped you out in a time of need what is her name allison if you want to give her a uh, Yes. You know, what is her she name she is
1: no longer with us however oh, I'm sorry the beautiful to hear soul's name is Judy Dinsmore and William Dinsmore and William Dinsmore is still alive and I love him dearly
0: wow wow that's a spectacular story within all the sadness and tragedy and everything right? uh, for uh, her to um, step up like that is so good it's Absolutely, so it saved, it
1: truly saved
0: my life. I'm yeah. quite sure. Yeah. Wow. Uh, right. But I, yeah, but I do have to ask you about this. This is once again one of those things that uh, I have to ask. But you had told me a story before. Of course, uh, you were out of the house at 14. You told me that your father would take you and your brother around, quote unquote, looking for your yes. mother.
1: Mm-hmm. Often. Like we just we, he would tell us to get in the car and we would just drive endlessly. It seemed um, I, I remember laying down with my brother like on the on the back seat. It was a Bronco that he drove and he and I, my brother and I would just lay down in the back. And um, I remember seeing highway lights mm-hmm. and every time we would go, I, I, I don't know where we would go. There was one time I remember going to Chautauqua. Um, but we would just drive and it was always, we'd get on a highway or I'd see highway lights and he'd say, we're looking for your mother. And so it was like, he just mentally would just keep telling us, keep keep looking, keep looking for her, keep keep watching for her. Let's go find her. And Aaron and I were just tired of it. And most of the time we would just lay in in the back seat and whatever we did. But, Mm -hmm. but he would do that. Um, and I never really knew where he took us because we laid down in the back seat. And I'm not sure if he told us to do that or we just did that because we were tired. But mm-hmm. uh, yes, he would take us on these random road trips and say we're looking for her.
0: Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about your father specifically. That next day, the way you understand it, of course, she went missing uh, the evening, the, the night of the 6th, maybe 7th into the 8th. Uh, was he late for work the next day? Do you even know?
1: No, I've been told that he arrived at work on time um, and didn't even tell anyone that,
0: that anything was mm-hmm. wrong. Okay. Has anybody able, been able to trace his whereabouts after he dropped you off at the babysitter's at 3 in the morning? Nope. We have to remember that when your fam- your mother's side of the family got to the place later that day, it was, as you said, unusually pristine, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Okay. Right. All right. So we don't know what his whereabouts were from him dropping you off at roughly 3 a.m. to he having to be at work. I don't even know That's what time, it. maybe seven or yeah. something. So we don't and know. We any... also
1: don't know when the argument ensued and how mm. much time there was before it
0: woke us up. Okay. All right. Uh, I know you brought it up anyway uh, already, but I'm going to ask you again anyway. Uh, for searches and anything that was done, did he participate in any of it, to your knowledge, back in 1981?
1: Not one. In fact, um, there were my, my mother's side of the family, a lot of them were involved in the volunteer fire department that was there, mm-hmm. including my father. He was also a member of the volunteer fire department, but they all did searches in the woods behind the house where we were living, and um, it was reported that they watched him sitting in the window watching them all search, but did not participate, um, not in one single search.
0: Okay. Did he have any friends that lived in the area? Would would not mention any names, but did he have any friends who lived in the immediate area of where you lived um, in Hayfield Township?
1: I would not say, I'm not sure about the immediate area, mm-hmm. but I do know he had some very good friends that would be maybe 30, 40 minutes from, from there.
0: Okay. Um, what has at he done?
1: 30, 40 minutes is in the direction of his work.
0: Okay. Um, what has he done with his life since 1981? Of course, we know that you ended up uh, at the age of 14 getting out of there. Uh, unfortunately, your brother uh, was with him for a, a bit longer, but once you two are out and about and gone, uh, what has he done with his life since like the early 90s? Uh, has he continued uh, breaking the law like you said he did even before your mother went missing? What has he done? Do you have any contact with him? Anything?
1: So I have zero contact with him by choice. Um, he did. Did try to reach out to me once or twice, Um, dropped a Christmas card off at my adoptive family's home, and I threw it away. Um, Mm. So I never responded, never cashed the check, like none of that. Um, Other than that, he really didn't. He's not tried to reach me. Um, He has he did work that same foundry job that he was working the day of that disappearance. He worked there for 30 plus years. Wow. So to my knowledge, um, he must've been a good employee because right. they kept him all that time. And so he, he consistently and faithfully went to work and retired from that job. He always rented apartments and, 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 Was not good at paying his rent on time. So I think he got booted out several times. Um, Never owned a home. But I do believe he currently, um, just recently in the last year or so, purchased a home um, with a a woman. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I think he's owned a home. So as far as what he's done with himself, he's worked 30 years, Mm -hmm. um, owned a few dogs, and is currently owning a
0: home. Okay. That's it. But what about uh, any criminal issues since the early 1990s?
1: None that I know of. Surprisingly,
0: that
1: has stopped, or he stopped getting caught,
0: one or the other. Okay. All right. And he he worked that job, like you said, for all those years. Right. Um, Did he continue to live in that same apartment for a while? Or did he move? What did he do after your mother went missing?
1: I... I think he lived there for a short time, but I can't Mm. imagine it was very long because her family lived all in that immediate area. Like Mm. literally 100 yards from that house or that apartment was my grandparents. So I don't think he stayed there long.
0: Okay. Um, How I should ask you this. How is your brother doing?
1: He actually lives in Florida. You guys could be neighbors. Wow. I know. Um, huh. he's doing very well. He um, has a family and has children. and um, mm-hmm. you know there are some lasting effects from his his childhood and his experiences. But, like myself, he longs to have some answers and yeah. to, to know where my mother is and offer her. A proper burial. Neither one mm-hmm. of us believes she's alive. That that okay. really has never been something either one of us have believed. It's just okay. a matter of finding her.
0: Okay. Let's talk about some recent time stuff. Uh, you mentioned the police. Of course, we talked about them um, a fair amount of times. Uh, you had a meeting with some uh, with someone at the New York, uh, the Pennsylvania State Police, uh, mm-hmm. and they actually showed you the file, even though they would not. Allow you to look at it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. When did that happen? How was that arranged?
1: So when I turned eighteen that the this the initial showing me the file happened mm-hmm. then
0: oh, when I turned okay.
1: eighteen, my adoptive mother Judy said, do you want do you want to go and talk to the police and see see what you know they know and at the time, I wasn't really sure I did want to know, but she did so I was like, okay, let's go. And we went and the police officer, I very vividly remember a, a big, thick, probably two, two three inch binder sitting on a table in front of him and he put his hand on the on the file and he said, look, this is your mother's file. And like these words cut me. I have chills just saying it. He said, um, we have everything we need in this file to convict your father of murder, but a body and without a body. We can't prove a crime was committed. Everything in this binder is circumstantial.
0: That's what the police told you. Of course, you would have been That's 18, what, so that would have been roughly yeah. Oh, yeah. 1995? Four. Four 1994. Four. Yeah. All right, so 27 years ago is what you were told. That's what you were yep. told. Yep. Okay. Directly
1: to me, and mm-hmm. we weren't allowed to see it, mm-hmm. um, but he said everything in here, you know, is circumstantial, but we can't can't do anything about it because we don't have a body Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: at the time emotionally I was like "I, I can't do this I I did not invest in the case I did not pursue you know any leads I just wanted I wanted to make my mother proud and my angle was very different you know I just I wanted to become somebody who contributed to society positively like my mother wanted and that was my that was how I was honoring her. But um, last January was the 40th anniversary of her her disappearance, and something just clicked in me, and I decided it's time. You know, it's been 40 years. It's time that somebody, you know, somebody knows something, and my mother deserves that justice. And so I thought, I'm going to go and talk to them and see them meeting the police and find out where they're at. With with everything, and so I sat up an appointment with the um, state police or Pennsylvania state police. Maple is the city and I went and talked to them and there was a young investigator. Um, that had just. Been put on the case. So over the years, you know, it's turned over, turned over, turned over to many different people, and nobody has gotten any further in 40 years. And the thing has really led to anything that has brought them any closer to finding what happened. So this investigator we spoke with, I was super excited, thinking that you know she's new and she's got great ideas, and you know yeah. she's going to be vibrant. But what I kept hearing. When she, you know, she would give me an idea and say, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to talk to this person. And I would say, talk to this person. You know, talk, this person was my father's girlfriend. Talk to her. And she would say, well, I will, but um, I'm actually not um, assigned, I'm assigned to this case as an overflow. I'm actually a sex crime investigator. So then it was, well I have to do this job first and I'll get to it when I have time, basically. Yep. And and then and then it was, you know, I, I think she started to, to get defensive because I'm like, okay, it's been a week. Uh, did you ever call that person? Uh, did you ever and then Then it became a little bit more hostile where she was like, I, I, I'm going to, she literally told me she wants, she's going to ask her supervisor to be removed from the case. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to stop asking if you've done what you said you were going to do. So she was then removed and another investigator was put on and he was on for a couple months and then they put another investigator on who was the current. Mm-hmm. So this is all within the last year. Wow. And in those jumps, three investigators in less than a year, it won't be a year till January. So mm-hmm. three investigators, all of them have to get reacquainted with the case. Yep. And, um, you know, each one of them, I say, what's going on? What are you doing? And through that, each one of them have given me little bits and pieces of information that they thought I knew already and that maybe I didn't. And I found out how many times they didn't follow a lead all the way through. how many times they didn't continue a search that was supposed to be done. How many times they didn't get an interpreter for an invest for an interview that they were supposed to because they're deaf. Um, they kept saying all along that my father refused to cooperate and you can't pr- you can't force people to, um, to talk if they don't want to
0: talk. Uh, true. While I
1: understand that's true, what they don't say is that the the original investigator that I talked to in April said that my father agreed to talk to them, and for whatever reason, he said that he would talk to them, but they dropped the ball because they had to get a court-appointed interpreter. It couldn't be any interpreter. And they never got one, so they never interviewed him. So, that experience is what i realized over and over and over again things they didn't follow through or things yeah. that they would say oh well you know we have to get we have to get a warrant for that or oh we have to you know wait for whatever and or i'm busy with other cases as soon as i finish this homicide i'll do it as soon as i finish this i'll do it and that do it never happens in fact the girlfriend that i said you need to go interview her died shortly after I said that. Oh my. So now she's gone. And these people are, are an older generation. My father's 72 years old. You know, you can't, this is a time sensitive case at this point because yep. they're all dying. Yep. <laughs> like,
0: uh, I know. Yes. We're never
1: going to know. Yes. And I'm sorry that you're overloaded and have all this work to do, but they're dying. So you're just, you're missing out on all those. I, I happily will say that the current investigator I really, I really respect. He, he listens, he follows through. He doesn't make excuses for being busy. You know, I, I, I have confidence in the current investigator, but the speed in which they've got to catch up is great. So we'll see.
0: All right. I, I think well, you've just encapsulated what most of my guests have talked about for the last five years, changing of um, investigators every few months. Not following leads, not taking, not realizing that many of these things are time-sensitive, given how old the cases are. It's very common, unfortunately. (laughs) Very common. Uh, The Pennsylvania State Police, New York State Police, Florida State Police, you name it. uh, It's happening everywhere, unfortunately, for sure. One more topic uh, that um, I want to talk to you about is you... Um we're going to or did speak uh, at a deaf club. Of course, we talked about that very early on in this conversation. But uh, I would portray it, you know, getting to do this was not as smooth as maybe I would expect. Nope. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. so i I actually thought that I would be um, very welcomed because these people that were there, knew my mother some of them not all but several of them that were there knew my mother my mother met my father at this club so there was a lot of connection there and i'm the child of this woman that has disappeared so i really thought that i would be welcomed with open arms and that you know they would be very curious to know what i did with my life and you know whatever happened to that six-year-old but i would say for the most part, I was, I was welcomed when I finally got there, but getting there was, as you said, not as smooth. Um, I did have a particular person that I um, won't name, but there was a deaf man who was friends with my father who um, asked another deaf man to call me and tell me not to come. And so they call, he called me on Facebook video uh, because then he could sign to me and said, Hey, listen, you know, we, we need you to cancel and not come because we don't want to upset bud, which is his nickname. We don't want to upset Clinton. And I said, "What? why is his concern greater than my mother's concern? You know, right. I, I don't understand why that they were both members of the club. Why are you worried about him? How about my mother? That's been missing for 40 years. And he said, yeah, we just we don't want to upset him. And I said, "Who?" and eventually he told me who it was. And I thought, that's interesting, because that person was good friends with my father. They went to the Pittsburgh School for the Deaf together. So I, mm-hmm. I thought it was all very, very interesting. And have, you know, I I don't want to compromise the case at all, but there's a lot of questions unanswered with those connections that the police are currently pursuing. But that roadblock kind of um, soured the waters a little bit. Um, I did persist, though, and I went and I was so thankful I did. I stood in front of them they brought one of their own interpreters because I haven't signed regularly in years. So I'm Mm -hmm. rusty at best. (laughs) And (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I got up and I spoke from my heart. I told them, you know, where I come from. I told them that I'm writing a book about my mother and I'm I'm close to releasing that, that I'm going to fight for her. And that I really wanted to bring justice to her as well as to tell her story. And I was very well received by the crowd that was there. You know, they were hugging, and even in Corona times, <laughs> you huh. know, they were hugging, and you know, said that you know, we're so grateful that I came, and um, that I've grown up well, and and all of that.
0: So, is this the same club from like way back when yes. your mother met your father? Same thing. Yes. Same wow. Exactly. Uh, and like I said that fifty years fifty years I later. Said,
1: Yes and I said to them my my parents met here. How crazy is that that they met here and here I stand you know all these years later as their daughter. Yes.
0: Your father's not a member of that club anymore. Does he not go there or did he just not show up that time being that he knew you were going to be there or or what?
1: He moved 2 years ago about 2 hours away from where this club is. Oh, so okay. My understanding is he's not a current official member, but when they have their annual events, like other people are allowed to come, there was a summer party this past summer that he did go to. And I, um, I think I was at the September meeting. So mm-hmm. when I went, it was in September and I purposely did some homework to make sure he wasn't going to be there. And of course he could have been there. Yeah, he could um, It, it, it anyone was welcome to come but thankfully he did not go to that Mm -hmm. particular meeting
0: did the guy who tried to get in the way of you speaking there was did he ended up did he end up being there or not
1: he was not
0: he was not okay Mm -mm. okay and he is
1: a regular attending Mm -hmm. member so it was unusual for him not to be there that night but he did not
0: come okay and when was this once again when was this when you spoke to them september this past september so just like two months ago yeah Okay, and listeners should know we are doing this interview on November thirteenth of twenty twenty one. Okay, uh, what's this been like for you, Allison? Um, of course, you have no contact with your father anymore. You were um, you technically adopted? What was the official paperwork regarding you and uh, this teacher who took you in? Was it an official adoption, or what was it?
1: I, when I'm referring to it now, I always say I'm, I was adopted cause it's just easier, but mm-hmm. officially the paperwork was they got legal custody okay. and they were, the reason they went that route was they, they were afraid that they didn't want to upset my father and mm-hmm. him like renege and not let them keep me. So they just went with the least path of resistance and said, you know, that just turn custody over to us and let's move on.
0: Okay. So once again, what is this, what has this all been like? I know, I know it's bad, but uh, put it in your own words.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, my childhood was rough, rough. but the, the neat thing, and actually, as I said, I was, I'm writing a book. My resilience is strong and I know that I get that from my mother, um, The book talks about my mother's resilience and being a deaf person and all the things that she overcame and refused to accept defeat. Um, And I feel like that is also my story. And for me, a lot of horrible things happened, but a lot of good things happened, too like the guidance counselor i wouldn't be here today talking to you and and living this fight if it wasn't for Mm -hmm. you know a a woman who did not know me from adam we weren't related in any way and took me into her home you know and Mm -hmm. and because of that stability i was able to be where i am today and i also say i credit my teachers along the way you know giving me those stickers and those stars and giving me positive incentives to fight for kept me on that right path and rightfully so i became a teacher myself i am a special education teacher and have been for 21 years so i followed suit and i feel like i am the teacher i am because Mm. i can relate to these kiddos and and what they really truly need because i've been there Mm -hmm. i mean most of the time you know when they're going through a struggle that is not In their control it's something that i lived through and i feel like that experience um, helps me to be a better teacher and one of my mottos is rewrite the story you know when life Mm -hmm. hands you something difficult use it you know Mm -hmm. i i rewrite the story so my past was pretty ugly to say the least but i'm rewriting the story today and i am helping all of the cute kindergartners that I work with and first graders ah. that I work with <laughs> and I am giving that love that I wished I had. And I know what I needed to, to these kids that I work with today. And that's rewriting the story. It, it, it is a, a sad story, but it's also a story of resilience and championing over the ugliness. You can't overcome it. And I'm doing that in my mother's name.
0: Do you have a Facebook page, website, anything like that, set up for your mother's disappearance?
1: I do, so it's called Justice for Lonene, um, Justice and for F O R, and is Lonene is L O N E N E, and um, it it's I set it up, I believe, in June. Okay. And we're at fifteen hundred members at the moment. Wow, that's great. So yes, there's a lot of information on there. And as I am very transparent on that page and anything that um, is happening right now, as much as I can share, like some things with the case, if I'm going to compromise it, I certainly wouldn't share, but I really do. If you're, if you're interested in following along what's going on, I share a lot of what's going on and I call the members of, of those, of the page, um, Lonnie's Angels, because we are her hands and feet on this earth to solve this. And um, I refer to the, all the members as Lonnie's angels.
0: Huh. Well, that's neat. <laughs> that's neat. Say it uh, one more time uh, for the listeners. It's justice
1: for Lonnie. Okay. The word justice, F-O-R, and then Lonnie, L-O-N-E-N-E. And no
0: spaces. I should ask you about that. Where did she get her name? That's another unique name for Unfound. It seems like we've been running to quite a few of them recently. Uh, where yeah. does that name come from?
1: So her, my great grandfather, her grandfather's name was Lonin, L O N O N. So they kind of made it a feminine form. So my grandfather's name was Lonin, and Lonin Smith, and they named her. Lanine Ray, and the Ray was after her father. Mm-hmm. And I named my daughter, my middle daughter, is Maria Lanine, um, which is after my mother. So the name wow. continues.
0: That's a unique one, Lanine. It is. Not too many Lanines out there, I don't think. No, no, I love it. Okay, Allison. Any final words before we complete this interview?
1: I really believe in my heart. Um, that we're going to find out what happened, and we're going to bring her to justice and offer the proper burial that she deserves. Um, I really just encourage anyone listening that might have any knowledge of any sort, you know, to come forward. Even if you're not sure if it is a meaningful piece of information, share it, you know, and and help us bring this case to close. I have never felt more positive about coming to a, a result in this case as i do now there's been so many old decades old cases lately that are being solved and i like to pray for and think that my mother my mother's case will be one of them soon
0: that's true a lot dna people coming forward you're right that is certainly uh-huh. true certainly true Well, uh, Allison, I know we will uh, keep in touch, continue to keep in touch even after this uh, episode comes out. I hope I can continue uh, to help you in any way possible. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that was my November 13th, 2021 interview with Allison Diker, daughter of Lanine Lonnie Rogers. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. Before I get into my comments, I want to say how inspiring Allison's own story was. How a teacher took Allison at the age of 14 under her wing and raised Allison during a very tough time. We need more people like that teacher. Now, my summation. This is another one of those the man said types of disappearances. Clinton insists that Lonnie took off with another man at like 10 at night during what could have been a snowstorm. Yet, Clinton has not given any names. He can't explain why Lonnie would have gone missing due to her allegedly running off. Clinton has given no reason why that $60 meant for Lonnie was in his wallet. On and on and on. This is just like Angela Green's disappearance, although I would say Lonnie's isn't quite as blatant. Either way, we know what happened. We know most likely why it happened. The big question then is, how do we use the information we have to prove what we think we know? So, what information do we have? Hearing aids left behind. Brown boots missing. Blue peacoat missing. The neighbors, although hearing many things many times, heard nothing this time. Clinton made it to work on time the next day, January 8th. The snow was not a help, unlike in Janelle Matthews' murder. It was early January in Pennsylvania so the ground had to be hard. I'm sure you can come up with your own additional facts. The big issue is we usually think of these types of cases as spur-of-the-moment situations, and from that, I think the logic is, since the disappearance was unplanned, that the suspect had to have put the victim in a place that wouldn't be as hidden if it were planned. The problem, given what we know, the disappearance of Lonnie Rogers could have been planned. Why? Because Clinton hadn't lived in the apartment for at least a month, and he had to know that eventually Lonnie would want him gone again, meaning he had that month to think about what he would do when Lonnie showed him the door in early 1981. It's something to consider as you analyze Lonnie's disappearance. This is as far as I will go with any kind of theorizing. You have the facts. You have a bit of my insight. Given how exasperated I think we all get with disappearances of this type, we know something, but we can't prove that something, I often feel like we're allowing these people to get away with it like they're outsmarting us and I would certainly love to rewrite that I'll leave the theorizing up to you and that's the program if you found it informative please go to the app that you used to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review I thank you for listening I'm Ed Densel And you've been listening to Unfound.